they were like many people are today. Hello there, this is the LifeSpring Family Audio Bible, and I'm coming to you from Riverside, California. Podcasting since November 13th, 2004, this is the first day of the 18th year of LifeSpring Media. I'm your OG Godcaster, Steve Webb. This is the daily podcast where we're reading through the entire Bible in a year. Today's the last day to go to lifespringmedia.com survey and take the two-minute survey that I have there. Uh, at uh, midnight tonight, Pacific time, I'm closing it down. So if you've not taken the survey yet, this is your last reminder. Please, if you haven't gone over there, do so. The more responses I get, the more accurate the survey will be. And I'm doing the survey to help make the show better for you. So please go on over there right now while you're thinking about it. Today, we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm calling the episode, Who Owns You? I know the schedule says we're supposed to be reading chapters 5 and 6, but like I said yesterday, I mistakenly read chapter 5 last week. Eh, sometimes I'm a dum-dum. In today's reading, Paul talks to the Corinthian church about certain behaviors that Christians should not engage in. So parents, if there are tender ears listening, my commentary might best be skipped for them. I won't be graphic, but I will be addressing the topics that Paul brings up head on. So let's get started. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 If any of you have a dispute with another Christian, how dare you go before heathen judges instead of letting God's people settle the matter? Don't you know that God's people will judge the world? Well then, if you are to judge the world, aren't you capable of judging small matters? Do you not know that we shall judge the angels? How much more then the things of this life? If such matters come up, are you going to take them to be settled by people who have no standing in the church? Shame on you! Surely there is at least one wise person in your fellowship who can settle a dispute between fellow Christians. Instead, one Christian goes to court against another and lets unbelievers judge the case. The very fact that you have legal disputes among yourselves shows that you have failed completely. Would it not be better for you to be wronged? Would it not be better for you to be robbed? Instead, you yourselves wrong one another and rob one another, even other believers. Surely you know that the wicked will not possess God's kingdom. Do not fool yourselves. People who are immoral or who worship idols or are adulterers or homosexual perverts or who steal or are greedy or are drunkards or who slander others or are thieves, none of these will possess God's kingdom. Some of you were like that. But you have been purified from sin. You have been dedicated to God. You have been put right with God by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Someone will say, I am allowed to do anything. Yes, but not everything is good for you. I could say that I am allowed to do anything, but I am not going to let anything make me its slave. Someone else will say, Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. Yes, but God will put an end to both. The body is not to be used for sexual immorality, but to serve the Lord, and the Lord provides for the body. God raised the Lord from death, and He will also raise us by His power. You know that your bodies are parts of the body of Christ. Shall I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of the body of a prostitute? Impossible. Or perhaps you don't know that a man who joins his body to a prostitute becomes physically one with her. The Scripture says quite plainly, the two will become one body. 
but he who joins himself to the Lord becomes spiritually one with him. Avoid immorality. Any other sin a man commits does not affect his body, but the man who is guilty of sexual immorality sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and who was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourselves, but to God. He bought you for a price. So use your bodies for God's glory. Well, I think it would be good to establish some background on what the city of Corinth was like when Paul was there. Corinth was an extremely hedonistic city and had been that way for hundreds of years. It was prosperous and bustling, uh, much like a large metropolitan city is today. And it was famous for its pottery, brass, sports, and military. There were temples built to honor many different Greek gods, with the largest one being for Aphrodite, which had more than a thousand female prostitutes and priestesses to serve her. The Corinthian people had a reputation for being drunkards and partiers and having extremely lax sexual morals. In other words, they were like many people are today. In chapter 5, which we (laughs) read last week, Paul chastised the Corinthian church because they didn't call out the one in the church who was having an ongoing affair with his father's wife, most likely his stepmother. They had allowed this because they were immersed in this culture of immorality already. They thought nothing of it. So Paul told them how to deal with the issue. Well, here in chapter 6 today, Paul again addresses them regarding their behavior. He says, The very fact that you have legal disputes among yourselves shows that you have failed completely. Would it not be better for you to be robbed? And then he goes on to say, Instead, you yourselves wrong one another and rob one another, even other believers. Surely you know that the wicked will not possess God's kingdom. Do not fool yourselves. People who are immoral or who worship idols or are adulterers or homosexual perverts or who steal or are greedy or are drunkards or who slander others or are thieves, none of these will possess God's kingdom. So Paul listed these specific sins in order to make it very clear to the Corinthians that the very culture that they were in was full of things that were detestable to God and they must reject these behaviors if they were to live lives pleasing to him. See, they had become desensitized to the sin. He was saying you can't live a life given over to these behaviors and expect to be part of God's kingdom. You can't live like this habitually and expect to be saved. We'll continue this thought in a minute. Given that list that I just read to you, The elephant in the room is the reference to homosexuality. It always is. Our culture today is doing everything possible to normalize the gay lifestyle, as it's called. Proponents of this say, love is love, right? Well, no, it isn't. In the original Greek, there's actually two words used in the verse that our translation today rendered as homosexual perverts. One is malakoi, which literally refers to male prostitutes, and the other is arsenokaitai, which refers to men having sex with men. So whether the behavior is a business arrangement, or if it's between two men or two women, by the way, who love one another, it's not right. Whether it's business or love has nothing to do with it. Same-sex sexual relationships are wrong in God's sight. But listen carefully. 
the other behaviors listed on that list are wrong in God's sight as well. People who practice immorality, who worship idols, who are adulterers, who steal, who are greedy, who are drunkards, who slander others, who are thieves, they're all on the list too. Homosexuality is not a worse sin than these. It's just one on this particular list. And why did Paul list these sins? Because these are the sins that were so common at the time in Corinth. It certainly is not an exhaustive list of the sins that people commit or that God hates. Remember the saying that those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, or better yet, Jesus remarked to the crowd who found the woman in the act of adultery, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So my point is, people that are immoral, adulterers, thieves, or drunkards, or or whatever, have no room to condemn homosexuals. Homosexual is not some special sin that is especially abhorrent. Sin is abhorrent to God. There's another place in the Bible that gluttony is listed in a list like this as well. So people that eat too much can't call out uh, any other sin. It's like Jesus said, you've got a log in your eye. Why don't you take care of that before you take the speck out of the other guy's eye? Hypocrisy. Jesus hated hypocrisy. God hates sin for sure, but calling out one sin over another, no, that's wrong. But now the important thing is look at how Paul followed up these verses with this list in saying people that practice these sins, people that immerse themselves in these sins will never uh, enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say it quite like that. I'm just paraphrasing. But look at how Paul followed those verses. He said, some of you were like that, but you have been purified from sin. You have been dedicated to God. You have been put right with God by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He said that some of the Corinthians had been living like that, doing those things, but they had been purified. They had been made clean from sin. They were set apart or sanctified. They were dedicated to God, and they were put right or declared to be just in the eyes of God by His grace. And all of this was made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So people that practiced those sins, they did those things, but then they were forgiven when they came to Jesus and put their faith in him. None of those sins are beyond forgiveness in the eyes of God for one who accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that's part of the message of the good news. The good news is that the people described on that list can be made clean in the eyes of God. That list is not meant to demoralize and condemn, but to give hope and motivation to give one's life to Jesus, to have a better life and a better eternity. I'd love to hear what you think. You can comment at lifespringmedia.com s12e76. And by the way, I just became aware today that that link has not been working, that those links that I've been telling you, the s12e76, 75, 74, 73, back to 68, I think, uh, that wasn't working. They're working now. So if you've tried to get to the show notes page using one of those links, you can do it now. I fixed the problem. So you can comment on the show notes page there, or you can email me at steve at lifespringmedia.com, or you can go to comment.lifespringmedia.com. You see, I give you all kinds of choices. I don't try to make it hard. I try to make it easy for you. I want to hear from you. We're family, right? Family talks to family. Tell me what you're thinking. Tomorrow, we're going to read Genesis 40 through 43. Boost! 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 Boost represents the future of podcasting! (laughs) 
I got a boostergram this morning from John. He says, so cool to hear the show's origin story. Here's to many more years than he sent 5,000 sats using the Fountain app. John, thanks again. G- great to hear from you. And I, I hope you guys liked that. Uh, I, I sometimes felt like I was kind of rambling. I, I hope you found it uh, at least uh, somewhat entertaining, a little bit informative, and uh, not too self-indulgent. I really don't like to talk about myself. Um, I, I really don't. I'm not one, I'm not one of those people. So it's going to be some time before I spend that much time talking about myself on the show again, believe me. Okay, um, I appreciate that boostergram, John. Uh, thank you for the 5,000 sats. That's awesome. And uh, if you'd like to help support the show, go to support.lifespringmedia.com and check it out. I do need your support. I can't do this all by myself, that's for sure. On this date in church history, I skipped this one yesterday. On November 13th, 1913, Alexander Scorby was born. He was an actor, and probably his most memorable screen role was in Giant in 1956, but he became better known for his resonant voice, which he loaned to some of the first readings of the King James Bible on audio cassette. When I was in the Christian bookstore business many years ago, we sold a ton of Alexander Scorby uh, Bible on cassette sets. Here's what Alexander Scorby sounded like. Chapter 6. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Great voice, huh? I remember when I first got into the Christian bookstore business and I saw these sets of the entire Bible on cassette, and I thought, what kind of a crazy person would sit and record the entire Bible? <laughs> And now here I've done it several times. Yeah, I'm a crazy person, but I do love the Word of God, so it's uh, it's a privilege for sure. All right, on this date in church history, November 14th, 1864, Helen H. Lemmel was born. She was an English-born sacred vocalist and hymn writer. She penned 500 hymns, many for children, including the still popular Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I love singing that song. I got word today that a very sweet woman of God went to be with the Lord today. Her name was Janice. She was the superintendent of the preschool my oldest son went to. And that's how I first met her, something like 36 or 37 years ago, something like that. But when I married Leanne, I found out that Janice was the daughter-in-law to the man that founded the church that Leanne pretty much grew up in and where I attended with her for over 25 years. Janice has been very ill for a long time, so she's in much better shape now than she has been in a long time. But she leaves a husband who's in very poor health himself. His name is Randy, and he needs our prayers. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how good it is to come to you today. To come into your presence is truly awe-inspiring when we think of who you are. Our minds cannot begin to comprehend all that you are, but you did give us your word so that we could learn from you what we need to know about you. And we're thankful for what you've shown us about yourself, that you're a personal God who desperately wants us to love you, but who will not force us to, that you paid the ultimate price so that we can be with you for eternity if we'll just accept your Son as our Savior. Lord, we thank you for that. 
We pray today for Randy and ask that you would comfort him today. I know that he loves you, Lord, and I'm so thankful for that. Lord, hold him in your arms now. Help him to feel your presence even now. It's so good to know that death is not an end, but a glorious beginning for those who know you. And it's good to know that death is just a temporary separation of loved ones who know you. I pray for Randy's family, too, as they will certainly miss Janice. Comfort them in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for the LifeSpring family, and I ask that in each one of their lives you would meet their needs. Some, I'm sure, are hurting financially. Some are worried about jobs. Some are sick. Some have family issues. But you're working in each of their lives, and I pray that you would guide them and work in your perfect, loving way. We ask that you'd be glorified in each of us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can send your prayer requests in at prayer.lifespringmedia.com. Tell somebody about the show. Share it on your social media platforms. Tell your neighbor. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell the people at the club. Don't hide it. Share it. And remember, please, to go to lifespringmedia.com survey if you haven't yet by midnight Pacific time tonight. Until tomorrow, may God bless you richly. Thank you for being here. I'm Steve Webb. It's been great spending time with you today. Bye.